You know a word that you're going to hear a lot this week? You're going to hear the word happy this week. You're going to hear it a lot because it's all going to be in connection with Happy New Year, right? The New Year begins on Tuesday. And so, how many times this week do you suppose you will hear that expression, Happy New Year? What's it going to take to make your New Year happy? What do you think will be the, the essential elements that really will turn out to make this a truly happy New Year? You suppose it will be more money? If you had a lot of money, you could be happy. Or things that money buys. Possessions, lots of really extravagant possessions. Or maybe recreation, pleasure, entertainment, you know, maybe to take an exorbitant, just crazy, elaborate vacation, travel the world, see all the sights. Are those the kind of things that will make your new year happy? I think all of us know that the answer to that's no. And the reason why we know that money and the things that money can buy do not bring true happiness the reason we know that is on the basis of our own experience, right? Our own experience says that that doesn't accomplish it. And, of course, the, the experience of humankind in general proves that, that happiness is not derived from money and the things money can buy. Jesus provides the real answer to true happiness, uh, and he talked about it in the section of Scripture that we've been studying the last few weeks. We want to continue today. We're talking about the Beatitudes, the introductory statements in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Every one of those Beatitudes starts out with the word blessed. And actually, that's where the name Beatitude comes from. That's Latin. The Latin for blessed is beatus, and these are the Beatitudes, the, the, the statements of blessedness. Some newer translations, instead of saying blessed, actually use the word happy. Happy are you, blessed, well-favored. That's the idea of this whole section that we call the Beatitudes. Our study continues this morning uh, with this simple question. Are you pure in heart? Are you pure in heart? Because in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, in these Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart. Happy, well-favored are the pure in heart for they shall see God. That'll be the basis of our study this morning, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, with the question in mind, are you pure in heart? We stop here for a moment to say thanks to everybody for being with us today to join together in the worship of God. That's what it's all about. It's about serving God, worshiping Him, honoring and glorifying Him. Thanks for having that as a priority in your life that brings you out on, on Sunday morning to engage in this period of worship. We pray that God will be glorified. We also pray that each of us will be edified, encouraged, instructed, built up, taught about the things of God, and that we can truly say when we leave here that it was time well invested. We're glad we came. We hope that will be true of everyone who's here. We've got visitors with us today. We're always grateful for our visitors. We want you to come back every time you have a chance. And we invite you to ask us about what we're doing here at College View and why we're doing it that way. And our ambition and our goal will be to give you a book, chapter, and verse answer, a thus saith the Lord, because we believe very much in establishing our practices based on New Testament Bible authority. And so if you ask us, we'll try to give you that kind of an answer. Thanks for being here today. All right. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. A very simple first observation here 
is that God looks at the heart, that He is observing the hearts of men. God is not just interested in what we do outwardly, although that's important, and we're not going to diminish the importance of that. Our outward actions are important. But in order to please God, what we do outwardly must come from the heart. A big problem in Jesus' day was that many of the Jews were going about their worship and service to God merely as an outward thing. They were ceremonial, they were ritualistic, but it did not come from the heart. And Jesus condemned them in that regard. In the text that was read for us just a moment ago, in Matthew chapter 23, notice verse 25, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye make clean the outside of the cup and platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Jesus, as he was so apt at doing, here drew a very graphic picture that you cannot escape the meaning of. Can you imagine, for instance, if you went to sit down for a meal at a restaurant, maybe a nice, expensive restaurant, and so they they come to serve you and they bring out the serving dishes or they bring out the plates and the drinking glasses that you're going to... And then, and at first look, the outside of them looks nice and clean, but when you look in, these dishes haven't been washed. There's all kind of old, nasty food in there. Even maybe the, the, the dish or plate looks nice on the outside, but inside it's just nasty. Jesus said that's what these scribes and Pharisees were like. They looked pretty nice on the outside, but if you look in, they were nasty. He said they like whited sepulchers. We understand that the practice of the Jews back in that day is when they buried people, uh, they would bury in either hand-dug tombs, uh, like the one that Jesus was buried in. They actually hollowed it out of the side of a hill. Or in natural caves. Sometimes they used natural caves as Abraham buried Sarah in the, uh, in the uh, field of Machpelah. Uh, but whatever, if, if it was a hand-dug sepulcher or a natural grave, when they sealed it up, they would whitewash the opening. And the reason why was because that was sort of a warning. You don't want to go in there because they are rotting corpses. They are dead men's bones inside. Don't go in there unless you have to. And if you have to go in there because you're burying another dead person, because they use those burying places for more than one person. If you have to go in there, okay, and then you're going to have to go through rites of purification... Don't go in there unless you intend to go. And so they whitewashed the entrance to these tombs so that people would know you don't go in there just accidentally. And, and the result of that was it made these tombs or sepulchers look pretty nice on the outside. Man, inside, full of dead men's bones, all kinds of corruption. So again, Jesus uses two very graphic pictures, a, a, a plate dirty on the inside or a dish dirty on the inside and a tomb that looks nice outside but rotting corpses inside. And he said that's what the scribes and Pharisees were like. Their hearts. They weren't they weren't serving God from the heart. God looks at the heart. And he wants our hearts to be right. Jesus said it very plainly in Matthew fifteen and verse eight. This people draws nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And so they were going through the motions okay, but it wasn't coming from the heart. And Jesus said that would not be acceptable. So blessed are the pure in heart. What about this heart then? What is the heart? 
I think all of us understand that the man's heart, it's not, his, it's not the, the vessel in our body that pumps blood. It's not the heart organ in our chest that he's talking about. But when the Scriptures refer to a man's heart, it's talking about his, his intellect, his emotion, his will. I dug up an old chart that, that speaks to this, and we won't take time to read or study all of the references on this, but there are several references to a man's heart, and it indicates it's what he thinks with, what he reasons with, how he ponders and understands. And so when the heart is used, sometimes it refers to the intellect, the thinking powers of man, what he knows, the knowledge that he possesses. That's in the heart. And then other references uh, to the heart talk about the desires of the heart the thing a man loves, his sorrows, the things he rejoices over. And so clearly that would suggest that the heart is the seat of emotion. Our emotions are in our heart. And then other references in the Scripture talk about that which a man purposes to do or intends to do, that that he determines the things which he obeys. And that then clearly would talk about the will of man. So... The heart has to do with your intellect, what you know, your emotions, what you feel, and the things that you're committed to doing. All of that is found seated in the heart. You know, it's unfortunate that so many people today want to focus exclusively on emotion. Many people religiously, if you talk to people religiously, it's all about the emotion, the feelings. Well, that's part of it, for sure, right? And so we should be emotionally involved in our service to God. But that's not all of it. It also has to be based on knowledge, what you know. And then it also has to be involved with the will, your full commitment to doing the, the will of God. And so if you're going to serve God from the heart, you're going to acquire the knowledge, you're going to develop the deep emotion you're going to commit to doing what the Word of God says. That's what it means to serve God from the heart. It involves intellect, emotion, and will. Pure in heart, then. What about being... So we know what the heart is. What about this idea of purity? Well, the word pure comes from the Greek word uh, katharos, katharos, used 28 times in the New Testament. This word, translated pure, Found 28 times in the New Testament, and it is translated, obviously, with the word pure, or clean, or clear. Uh, and so, it would be used, for instance, to speak about clean, as in soiled clothes that had been washed. You would use this word, katharos, to talk about your, your, your dirty clothes, and you washed them, and you made them clean. They are now clean. The, the soil has been removed from the clothes. And so it would be used that way. It would also be used to speak of things that are pure in the sense they're not mixed with something else. For instance, that word would be used to speak of grain that has been winnowed. You know how they winnowed the grain and they sort of tossed it up in the air and let the wind blow the chaff away from the seed so that you ended up with pure seeds. And there's, there's nothing defiling the seeds. They're pure seeds now. Uh, it would also be a word used for pure gold. 
it's pure in the sense that it doesn't have any other corruptions. It's been refined. Uh, and, and now all the impurities have been burned off, and now you've got pure gold. Well, that's the word. That's the word we're talking about here. Pure is, is that word. It means pure, clean, clear. If that's the case, we know what the heart is, and we know what to be pure suggests, and so we're, willing, we're ready now to offer this definition. Pure in heart describes one whose thoughts are clean and whose devotion is undivided. Now, try to wrap yourself around that definition because I think it's the right one. Pure in heart. If I'm pure in heart, that means my thoughts are clean and my devotions are undivided. I'm, I'm totally committed to the Lord. There's, there's not any compromise here. I'm serving the Lord and He is my primary devotion. We've got to get it that way. So, what about pure in heart? Obviously, uh, it involves what we think about. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. But it also means how we follow through in action. There was a faulty view back in, the, in Bible times. Some people had this idea, and they've had it since then. I think there are probably people today who still profess to the view that you... You serve God with your mind, but your body is uncontrollable. Your body is pretty much going to go ahead and do whatever it's going to do, and you can't, you can't change that much. So you, you serve God with your mind, and your body does its own thing. That's not true, right? Because purity of heart involves keeping our minds clean, but it's manifested in how we show our devotion in the things that we do. Um, so... How then do we get there? How do we develop this purity of heart? Well, first of all, we've got to think on the right things. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, it says so plainly, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The expression that you've heard me so often, and I think you, you hear it pretty much in, uh, in other sources too, it's the idea that thoughts precede actions. What I think about leads to what I do. Uh, that, that's just pretty much standard observation of humankind, isn't it? You think about something, and you think about it a lot, and that leads you to do what you're going to do. Thoughts precede action. As we've talked about so often, there's such a tremendous danger in our day and time because of modern media. There's so many new ways that we are challenged to think about things, to keep our thoughts pure, because there's so many things being presented to us that we shouldn't be thinking about. You know, this is a major change, and it's a major change just within the last few decades. Uh, we know, for instance, that Pornography is considered to be the fastest growing addiction today. Think about being addicted to things. When you think about addiction, you usually think about being addicted to drugs or maybe addicted to alcohol, maybe addicted to tobacco. Well, the fastest growing addiction is pornography. And it has to be because the Internet specifically has made it so, so much more accessible. Not that long ago, many of us here can remember that not that long ago, if a person wanted to view pornography, you had to go to some book stand somewhere and buy a dirty magazine. 
or you had to go to a, a movie house, but not just any movie house. You had to go to one of those movie houses marked Triple X. You know, they show dirty movies there. And so, if you were going to get involved in that sort of thing, you always had the risk that somebody would see you doing that. They're going to see me pick up that magazine. They're going to see me walk into that dirty movie house, and it sort of served as a uh, a barrier. People wouldn't go because they didn't want to be seen. I don't have to go anymore, right? If I want to see those dirty movies, if I want to see those nasty pictures, I can sit right in the comfort of my own home, in the supposed anonymity of my own home. Nobody will know, at least I think nobody will know, and so I can look at all kinds of nastiness on the computer. I can look at all kinds of nasty television and, and movies uh, piped in from the satellite or from the cable. I can, I can view all that stuff and no one will ever know. And so that barrier has been reduced. I don't have to worry about people seeing me do it, and so now I can do it in anonymity. And so people are doing it. All kinds of people are viewing that sort of filth and nastiness. Purity in heart has become a greater challenge because of that. Now, here's the danger being, if I allow myself to see that, and constantly soak that in. If I let myself dwell on it in my thoughts, you know what's going to happen? Thoughts precede actions, right? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so he lets his heart be impure. He lets his, the, the thinking part of his heart be impure. It's going to manifest itself in what he does and the actions that he takes. And so it's for that reason we're commanded to control our thinking. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. I want you to notice that this is not just good advice to us. This is not just saying, you, you know, I'll I give, give you a tip. I'll give you some good advice. Control your thoughts. This is not given as advice. This is given as command. Do you see it? We're commanded to think on things that are honest and just and pure and lovely, good report, virtuous, praiseworthy things. We're commanded to do that. And so, when I use my computer to access things that I shouldn't be looking at, I'm breaking this command, right? I'm sinning. I'm specifically breaking this command. When I let myself watch nasty TV shows, I'm breaking this command. When I go and even pay my money to watch filthy movies, I'm breaking this command. Right? I'm commanded to think on good things. Because the Lord knows what's in my best interest. He knows that what I think about begins to affect who I am and what I do. As He thinks in His heart, so is He. Therefore, think on things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely, of good report, things that are virtuous and praiseworthy. Think on these things. God is not telling me that just to be mean to me and make hard rules for me to follow. He's stating that because it's in my best interest. And so if I'm going to be pure of heart, the obvious first step is think on the right things. We've got to think on the right things. We've also got to love the right things. Remember our definition? Our definition has to do with not only what we know, what we feel, but what we commit to do. And, and so this emotion part, what do I love? What do I love? 
in my heart? Well, what's really important to me? What am I devoted to? What do I love? As Christians, we can't really, 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 really want to be like the world. We can't really, really, really desire the things of the world. I'm, I'm not going to go there now. I'm telling you, I'm not going to go there. But man, if I, if I could, I would. If I could have those things, if I could do those things, if I could be like the people of the world. If I could, if I, could I would, but I know I can't, so I'm not going to. Uh, that won't work, right? Because what that's saying is that, that I'm loving the things of the world, although I'm trying to keep away from it. I, I know I can't do that. But boy, I sure wish I could. Because that's what I love, I think. And I'd love to be there. No, I can't love the things of the world. In Colossians 3, verse 1 beginning, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. Our affections are too much connected to this world. That's, that's a big part of the problem, right? And the reason why we're not happy is because we're thinking the wrong things and we're loving the wrong things, and that's not going to ever bring us real happiness. Set your affections on things above. In 1 John 2, beginning of verse 15, you know this text well. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Here's, here's a key thing. The world's passing away. If you really love the things of the world, you're loving that which is not going to last. The world passes away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So, if you want to be pure in heart, you've got to think the right things, you've got to love the right things, and you have to purpose the right things. When we speak of purposing the right things, it's making up your mind. In fact, that's how we would say it, isn't it? Talk about purposing the right things, we would say, make up your mind. You've got to finally make up your mind. Make up your mind to do the right thing. The classic example is the one that we reference so often in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Remember, Daniel had been taken as a, as a captive when Judah was being captured by the Babylonians. He was among the first ones taken captive. Taken to Babylon, he was put in sort of a privilege, and they're going to try to bring him up and train him to the Babylonians. Well, they... They prepared or, or sort of rationed for him and others that they would have the finest of the food and drink that the Babylonians had to offer. Problem being, though, Daniel was a Jew. And he, because of the law he lived under, he had certain dietary restrictions. He couldn't eat those things. And he purposed in his heart. He made up his mind that he was not going to do it. God blessed him because of that. God blessed him as a result of that. We need to make up our mind. We need to purpose on the right things. Think on right things. Love the right things. Determine. Purpose. Make up your mind to do the right things. That's all involved in being pure of heart. What's the result? The result is they shall see God. What do you think that means? The pure in heart will see God. Well, I believe that the easiest 
understanding of that, and I think an accurate one, involves being with God in heaven. You're going to see God. You're going to be in heaven. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus told of the judgment scene. Matthew 25, beginning verse 31, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Don't you want to be in this group? Don't you want to see God? Don't you want to hear it said, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Isn't that what you really want? You want to see God? You want to see God, you better be pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. They, they shall see God. What's the implication of that? If you're not pure in heart, you're not going to see God. Isn't that true? I mean, isn't that obvious? So, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I think that's the easiest understanding of this idea of seeing God. You're going to be with Him in eternity. And we all want that. You've got to be pure in heart to get there. I think there may be another way of understanding that also. These Beatitudes are are talking a lot about living and thinking and doing right now and receiving a blessing now. So the ultimate blessing is heaven. But there's a blessing, a happiness, that comes from living by these principles right now. And so could we also understand this idea of seeing God as something that happens for us even right now? In Matthew 13, verse 15, Jesus said, This people's heart is waxed gross and their ears are dull of hearing. Notice, their eyes have they closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Jesus said, These people can't see. These people are blind. They've closed their eyes. They're not seeing things as they really are. Their hearts were corrupt, right? Their hearts weren't pure. And therefore, they couldn't see things the way a person ought to see them. And so, part of this seeing is not just ultimately in heaven. But if we are pure of heart, we can see things now in an accurate way. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, I cease not, Paul says, to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, Notice, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Notice, Paul said, even right now, if you're pure in heart, you'll be able to see things that other people are not comprehending. You know, how, how often through the history of mankind have people sought for, me- what's the meaning of life, you know? Famous authors and philosophers have speculated and written and talked about this. What's the purpose of our existence? Why are you here? What's the meaning of life? If you're pure in heart, you can see that now. Others may never perceive it. But even not only will you see God in heaven, but right now you'll be able to see things from the right perspective. You'll be able to make sense of it all if you are pure in heart. So, this beatitude, I think it's a very important one. I think particularly applicable to us in the modern day. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, that might even be worth, that might even be 
one of those things you ought to write out and tack on the refrigerator door with a magnet and see it all the time. I've actually known of people who printed this out and taped it to the edge of their computer monitor. Oh, or maybe put a little sign beside the TV set that says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Be reminded of that. As we're tempted with so many things in our modern day, be reminded constantly. This is an easy verse to memorize. Memorize it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Thanks for listening. We appreciate your attention to these things from the Word of God. We pray that we can all live by the principles that Jesus so plainly taught to us. He made it understandable, didn't he? He he stated it so succinctly and plainly we can clearly understand the challenges to do it. Have you been living for the Lord? Is your life right? Have you obeyed that simple gospel plan of salvation? If not, we urge you to make that decision without delay. Hearing the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. We'd be glad to help you in that obedience. We'd be glad to study with you more if you need that. How can we be of assistance to you? If you're a Christian already, but you haven't been living right, and your life is not right with God, we urge you to come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing. Oh, thank you, sir.